Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for this th- third of three podcasts is Dr. Robert Lawrence, professor in public health at Johns Hopkins University School of Public Health and director of the Center for a Livable Future. Bob, I'm delighted to have you here to talk about genetically modified foods. Explain what these foods are and how genetic modification occurs and why, if you would. Uh, Genetic modification is uh, in two forms. One is you take uh, the modern uh, bioengineering principles and you snip out a desired uh, genetic trait and you insert it into another member of the same species. And then there's also genetic modification where you take a desired trait from another species and introduce it into a different species. And those two distinctions are really important. Uh, Deal with the first. The first is really an acceleration of uh, cultivar selection or of uh, animal breeding that has gone on for thousands of years. Um, We went through a phase of uh, people selecting desirable traits and then uh, producing hybrid seed and waiting a year to see how that crop did and then keeping those seeds and perhaps doing some more hybridization. Or taking what was probably originally a fox and uh, producing the uh, 110 registered breeds that just competed in the Westminster Dog Show in New York City. Uh, But it takes a long time. So we then moved probably 30, 40 years ago, to tissue culture and taking uh, cells, uh, particularly of plants, uh, tissue culture has not been used for animal breeding, but uh, in cell uh, cultures of plants, accelerating cultivar selection. So you might get eight or 10 generations in one year rather than having to wait a whole year. Again, nothing particularly alarming about that. Uh, Science marching on, making good use of new technology. What has the public concerned about GMOs and has me as a public health person concerned is when you start taking snippets of genetic material from one species, introducing it to another without adequate transparency about what you're doing, without adequate testing, without adequate surveillance to be sure that there aren't going to be unintended consequences. Can you give us an example of where that's happening? Uh, Well, the latest uh, event is this uh, supersized salmon where uh, uh, genetic manipulation has led to uh, the growth uh, hormone stimulating and regulating gene of the poutfish being introduced into the salmon so that the salmon is uh, essentially under nonstop growth hormone stimulation. Uh, in the normal ecologic system of salmon, uh, their growth varies with uh, water temperature, with fluctuations in feed supply, with fluctuations in season and things like that. And uh, this new genetically modified salmon uh, may be perfectly safe. We don't know. But it has... Uh, The testing has not been uh, shared transparently. What we do know about the testing suggests that it has not been as thorough as it needs to be. And most alarmingly, uh, the FDA in approving or or proposing to approve uh, the new uh, salmon 
has used rules and regulations that were actually designed for uh, animal medicines rather than for new species. Uh, so there are lots of things wrong with that. My friends in what I like to call uh, ecologic agriculture, uh, people who are very influenced by Aldo Leopold's uh, writings about the way in which we need to respect uh, nature and to uh, be aware of the ecologic impact of all the things that we do, are concerned that um, GMO proliferation, particularly in things like Roundup Ready soybean, uh, Monsanto now has 92 or 93% of the soybean market in the United States. The sale of the seeds. Sale of the seed. Right. One totally similar crop dominating the soybean market. And we know from the mid-19th century famine in Ireland what happens when you have a single species dominating a food supply and having it susceptible to a new blight or a rust or a fungus or whatever. So uh, there are risks at hand with monocropping. There are other risks associated with uh, monopoly control. And then there are these unintended consequences what is the availability of something like Roundup Ready soy doing to the ecosystem? And uh, Roundup glyphosate is a very potent herbicide, uh, but now there are resistant reed, weeds to uh, Roundup proliferating all across the farm belt. So the ecosystem is kicking back. That will require more application of other, perhaps more toxic herbicides. So it's a very, very long-term uh, alarming trend, really. You know, just to explain for our listeners that um, Roundup is an herbicide, a weed killer that could potentially kill the crop that it's designed to protect, like corn or soybeans. So Monsanto developed special strains of those those seeds to resist its own weed killer, exactly. which increased production but has these environmental concerns that you mentioned. Um, what's the scope of G the, the I, I don't know if the word infiltration is right, but the, the infiltration of GMOs into the American food supply, since they're not labeled, we don't really know what's genetically modified or not. How many foods contain genetically modified substances of one or another, one sort or another? Well, we also, in addition to Roundup Ready uh, soy, we have BT uh, corn. And uh, the combination, uh, given how ubiquitous corn is and soy in our processed food, uh, I think it's fair to say that any of us who eat something that is processed food, something that comes out of a paper rack package and is uh, uh, pre-cooked and has a as a ingredient list uh, of uh, twenty or thirty different components, is eating GMO modified food. Okay, I've heard really wide estimates, but something like sixty to eighty percent of all foods in the American food supply have some genetically modified ingredient? Uh, that seems reasonable. I guess it depends whether you're talking about the processed food supply or whether you're talking about whole foods, because probably whole foods, it's uh, fortunately still lower than that. Uh, do you see hope for the future about l at least labeling of these things? Again, I think uh, consumer concern is probably going to drive this process, and we will. Uh, we had... Uh, a narrow defeat in California in uh, the fall of 2012. 
Uh, but it came because of an enormous infusion of money from uh, industrial agriculture. Uh, those petition efforts are cropping up in other states, uh, and I suspect that we will have labeling eventually. Well, thank you very much for discussing this very interesting and complicated topic. I appreciate you joining us. You're welcome. Our Pleasure. guest is Dr. Robert Lawrence, Director of the Center for a Livable Future in the School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins University. Please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org, for a list of other podcasts and a variety of other resources on food and food policy issues. Thank you.